0: Human beings are not disposable. They are not there just to be uh, human warehoused, but they have a responsibility to take care of them.
1: Road listeners, it's Malikta. We're interrupting our usual programming to record a rapid response COVID-19 episode. Today is April 3rd, 2020, and we're all working at home to abide by the stay-at-home order issued by Governor DeWine. Prisons and jails are amplifiers of infectious, deadly diseases. Conditions that keep diseases from spreading, like social distancing, are nearly impossible in prisons and jails. Quick decarceration is more important than ever. That's why I sat down with our in-house policy counsel, Claire Chevrier and our chief lobbyist, Gary Daniels, to talk about Ohio's responses to the crisis so far. I also sat down with Edwin Fuller from the Ohio Organizing Collaborative to discuss what's happening on the front lines with families and community members. Claire, how can the criminal legal system slow the pandemic in Ohio?
2: There are so many different ways for different actors in the criminal legal system to slow the pandemic. And as you said, Malekta, jails and prisons can't abide by the social distancing directives that we're under, and we're under those directives to save lives. So this isn't about what they can do, it's about what they need to do. So sheriffs and police officers can choose to not arrest people. So instead of getting taken to jail um, and having to spend time there, maybe waiting for delayed hearings, Sheriffs and police officers could instead choose to cite and release them. So that's kind of usually what happens if you get a speeding ticket, for example. Something else the judges can and should be doing, and many are across the state, is removing all bond amounts. We've been talking about cash bail throughout this podcast. So many people in Ohio are usually in jail, not because of what they have done, but because they don't have the money to pay for their release. There's no reason for anybody to be held in jail on bond right now, and judges should immediately hold hearings to decrease or remove any cash bail amounts so that people can go home to their families where they can safely socially distance.
1: Thank you. And Gary, you've spoken extensively about reducing Ohio's prison population for a number of years. What can the governor do to minimize that population right now?
3: Well, we wrote uh, in coalition with others uh, to the governor and various other state officials about steps they can make. And so we usually combine specific steps with suggestions and observations just to give them a full picture of what the thinking is on power and uh, other advocates ends. And so uh, there is a sort of 30,000 foot view approach to take. Uh, For instance, our prison system is 10,000 people above capacity right now. So if you can somehow find a way to remove 10,000 people from our prison system, that gets us down to only 100% capacity. Uh, But you also have to look at this prison by prison. The prison system doesn't have just one problem. It has a problem multiplied by the number of prisons there are. Uh, So what they really need to do is adjust each prison level as much as possible, uh, looking at things like, Uh, How many people are currently in a particular prison? How many people is it meant to hold? That is, how above capacity might that individual facility be? And things like security levels. And that's a whole mix of things to consider when you're looking at prison by prison. But otherwise, the governor could be looking at a whole number of things to reduce population. Uh, We have an awful lot of people, for instance, in prison who are there uh, for fifth-degree felonies. That's the lowest-level felony here in Ohio. You could be looking at people with non-serious crimes such as drug possession, Drug possession is the number one reason why people are in Ohio prisons right now. Could be looking at a whole host of other things with regard to specific offenses, why people are there, how much time they have left. Not to mention, of course, what I think everybody recommends, looking particularly at people who have serious health problems and who are above a certain age uh, that are particularly prone to being infected uh, by coronavirus. Uh, So, Uh, As always, we encourage people to look at our website, acouohio.org, where we post all these letters and communications uh, that we seem to be constantly sending out uh, by necessity. Because one thing we are absolutely certain of, and that is COVID-19 and mass incarceration are 100% incompatible with each other.
1: You spoke a bit about working in coalition with folks to demand release of certain uh, prisoners in Ohio system currently, what else has the ACLU done in rapid response to this crisis? Uh,
3: for instance, one of the things that we did is we last week uh, sent a letter to, again, the governor, uh, the adult prison system and the youth prison system, uh, asking them to post publicly and daily information about how many people are infected in certain facilities or all facilities, Uh, uh, what are they doing about it, how many people do they suspect, even if it hasn't been confirmed that they have COVID-19, basically something that gives Ohio a window into what's going in behind bars at the state level. And uh, we are very pleased that about 24 hours later, DRC and DYS, the Adult and Youth Prison Systems, started publicly posting that information. And then it was not long after that, uh, the Ohio Public was able to discover that we have an entire prison, Marion Correctional Institution, under quarantine, 2,500 people right now under quarantine, because uh, at least one staffer, and now we've learned more staffers, tested positive for COVID-19. Another thing that we have been doing is continually consulting uh, and informing and sharing information with people around Ohio and around the nation with regard to best practices, others' efforts, what they're learning, what we could all be doing more of. I think particularly in this time and ongoing sharing of information and open discussion among all of us uh, and the stakeholders, those directly impacted, um, all of that uh, is very important at this point. And I'll add one other thing. We have also uh, established a email hotline, covid19 at acluohio.org. We encourage people to send to us Uh, what they are learning about their loved ones behind bars, whether it's immigration detention, whether it's a youth system where it's a halfway house, A jail, a prison, any other facility of this type, because we are taking that information, we are reviewing all of it, and it is helping to guide our advocacy efforts. So please, people, keep emailing us at uh, covid19 at acluohio.org. We've gotten over 100 responses uh, thus far, and they keep coming in.
1: So you mentioned best practices. Are there any positive responses from our local officials? Are there jurisdictions that we could look up as potential models for the rest of Ohio and the nation?
3: Uh, when you look at what has been done thus far and again was done early on, was decarcerating jails around Ohio. More can be done. Uh, What we need is this same type of effort uh, from our prison system, which again is 10,000 people above capacity and has been that way for many years. So uh, Governor DeWine said the other day at a press conference that indeed he is considering this. Uh, That is why we We've been uh, in touch with his administration so often recently uh, with regard to our thoughts and suggestions and observations about this issue. And so it could be as early today, Friday, uh, that we hear more from the governor at his daily press conference.
2: I also want to say that there are great ways to rapidly decarcerate our jails, and there are also bad ways. So, for example, across the state, judges, prosecutors, police, sheriff have stepped up to the plate to make sure that people can leave jail. And it's been great to see bonds being lifted that never had to be there in the first place that now allows people to go home to their families. But there have been also problematic practices that have occurred across the state to promote decarceration, which is what we want. For example, nobody should be coerced into accepting a plea deal um, where they plead guilty to something just because they want to get out of jail. And we have heard that those sorts of things are happening. People are getting told, well, you can go home today if you say that you did this. So people are feeling forced to plead guilty to something that maybe they didn't do. Under normal circumstances, they would have chosen to fight for their innocence. It demonstrates the overall problem with our pretrial criminal legal system that often being held in jail is a way to coerce people into plea deals. What we don't want is for that to be expanded right now because the threat of being in jail comes with so many additional fears.
1: That segues well into the next question. What have these responses taught us about pretrial reform in Ohio, or really the potential of pretrial reform in Ohio?
2: Across the state right now, in the name of public health and safety, people are being released from jail. So what it's taught us is, whenever this pandemic calms down, we need to fight against the suggestion that might be made that we need to recarcerate in the name of public health and safety. That doesn't make sense we've demonstrated that all of these people who are held in jail were there unnecessarily. There has been no stories of increased threats or violence now that all of these people have been released. And that makes sense because as this podcast has over and over again discussed, our current criminal legal practices don't promote public safety. They just promote wealth-based detention. What we are criminalizing in this country isn't culpability or guilt, it's poverty. And so all the decarceration measures that have occurred in response to the pandemic demonstrate these people did not have to be in jail in the first place.
3: Reentry is a very important component with regard to uh, people leaving jails and prisons and other facilities. We have to be very mindful that if there is not already a reentry plan created uh, for these people, that it's going to take uh, some real, I think, creativity and flexibility with regard to how we handle this. What we don't want is people who are in jails and prisons and related facilities coming to the outside world when they have possibly been exposed inside to COVID-19 and making matters worse not only for themselves, but others as they reenter society. So this is something certainly those of us advocating for releases and those of us involved in the reentry communities uh, need to be very mindful of. And, and again, there's going to be need to be a lot of thought and creativity regarding this. It is not impossible. Under these unprecedented circumstances, we absolutely have to get as many people as we can out of prison and jail and figure out the best way to do that. And people will be hearing more from the ACLU of Ohio about that very soon.
1: With this very moment, who are the targets? Who exactly has the power to enact this type of mass release policy change?
3: We we wrote the governor in coalition with several other organizations last week uh, outlining uh, this. Uh, the powers that, that he has as the governor that are inherent to being governor, as well as also uh, various powers found within Ohio law currently. The problem with current Ohio law with regard to release is uh, much of it is not widespread, and and some or much of it is, is cumbersome and time consuming in a way. Uh, that does not match up with how quickly these things need to happen with COVID-19. So we think the best bet is whether it's the the governor issuing an executive order uh, or the Department of Health issuing an order, uh, that that's the best way to do this as quickly and as smartly as possible here in Ohio. After all, we have a state who has been, whether people agree with them or not, uh, we have a state that has been working on uh, and, and Uh, maintains that it has the power to shut down private businesses, private entities, restrict personal movements, change a primary date, and so much more. Certainly, they have the power to direct their authority towards jails, prisons and related facilities. Indeed, they have a constitutional duty to do so because they are basically the wards of all of these people in an informal sense uh, who are locked up, uh, particularly in our state uh, prison systems uh, and facilities. Uh, uh, They have a constitutional duty to watch out for the health and welfare of these people, uh, and they must take that seriously.
2: As Gary mentioned, the governor is a huge target here because the governor has the ability to commute sentences. The governor can say this person can go home. And so while we have seen rapid decarceration from jails, we haven't seen rapid decarceration from prisons. So that's where people go if they are convicted and sentenced to a felony. And we know that our prison system is at 127% of its capacity. It is impossible to socially distance in these prisons. And that makes not only the prisoners at greater risk, it also means the staff members are at greater risk and all of our wider communities are at greater risk because those staff members go home at night. This is a crisis and the governor needs to respond to it adequately. And so far that hasn't happened, although hopefully by the time this podcast airs, he will have moved to take appropriate action to make sure that it's not just our our jails that are decreasing in population, but also our prisons.
1: So you mentioned the governor restricting movement, shutting down businesses. What are the potential civil liberty implications of this moment?
3: I think all of us are watching that very closely right now. Uh, Under normal circumstances, I think uh, most everybody would agree Uh, that uh, government uh, has very limited power when it comes to these types of things. Uh, But, of course, uh, when you're talking about people's rights, uh, those aren't unlimited. Uh, Those are things that can be restricted in crisis situations where exactly that line gets drawn. Of course, uh, this is unprecedented for, I think, anybody who is alive today uh, in the United States uh, or in Ohio. So we have been watching very closely uh, things such as, of course, uh, trying to restrict abortion uh, and shut down clinics in this crisis. And of course, we think that is constitutionally unacceptable and currently engaged in litigation regarding uh, that very point uh, with the ACLU of Ohio and other representing uh, some clinics here in Ohio, but we're also going to be watching closely law enforcement reaction to this. Um, How much and to what degree will they be enforcing the governor's orders, particularly because we worry about over-enforcement, for instance, in communities of color. That's the way things operate currently, pre-COVID-19, I should say. Uh, it should come no, as no surprise that if local police and sheriffs start forcing these orders more and more aggressively, that they will be overdoing it in certain communities uh, as it relates to, to other ones. So there's there's a wide variety of other civil liberties implications that situations like this can bring about. Uh, but this is also a very tricky situation with what we know and continue to learn about COVID-19. But suffice to say, the ACLU of Ohio and the ACLU across the country is watching this very closely and responding if and when we feel it is necessary.
2: Exactly. It's not just about over-policing. It's also about, are these directives going to be enforced equally? So at a recent press conference, Governor DeWine said, of course, he still takes a walk in the evenings with his wife. But we know because there's already been reports that some people have been charged with violating uh, the directive to stay at home. And how can police officers determine whether somebody's on a walk with their wife and that's cool, or if somebody's going to be arrested for violating a stay at home order? These are important things that we are paying very close attention to because we wanna make sure that nobody is penalized for something that other people are allowed to do.
1: This week's episode is sponsored by the Ohio Organizing Collaborative. Formed in 2007, the Ohio Organizing Collaborative builds transformative relational power with everyday Ohioans for statewide social, racial, and economic justice. Check out their work at ohorganizing.org. Now, back to the episode. I had the opportunity to chat with Edwin Fuller from the Ohio Organizing Collaborative we discussed his ideas and what's happening during this pandemic in the organizing sense.
0: Uh, Good morning, Uh, my name is Edwin Fuller. Uh, My pronouns are he, him, his, and I am a criminal justice organizer with the Ohio Organizing Collaborative and I do my work primarily in Dayton, Ohio area.
1: There's been a huge push to decarcerate people within Ohio's prisons and jails. Um, So why should we decarcerate in the midst of this pandemic?
0: This is a high-priority issue. When I mean, we have a, uh, a health situation such as this, our prison system, which is heavily overloaded, uh, is really a, a petri dish, an incubator for the rapid spread of disease. And They don't have other options to go to. They don't have other places to go to. And if you're talking about a situation where there's rampant overcrowding, it's just not, a, a, it's not an equitable solution for anyone.
1: I know you're on the front lines with people who've had direct contact and experience within the incarceration system. What do you think Governor DeWine needs to know?
0: Number one, the human element of uh, not only those who are incarcerated, but of those who are out, families who are worried about their loved ones, they're worried about what they're hearing in the news, what's being announced from the governor's office, and what they're hearing from the loved ones on the inside. Many times that doesn't match. So they're really concerned uh, that... Uh, they're receive proper medical treatment. When they do have health concerns, that those concerns are being taken seriously and that they are being immediately uh, addressed and addressed in, appro- in an appropriate fashion.
1: So, what are you hearing from the front lines?
0: Obviously, we've cut off uh, physical visitation in the interest of limiting uh, physical contact and physical congress. But those who are in charge of our jails, our prisons need to be doing everything they can from the governor, uh, the, the sheriffs, uh, those who are running these, they need to do everything they can to open up channels of communication so that uh, uh, that they know that their, their loved ones are safe. Uh, when the county takes someone into a state of incarceration or they're being held, they are taking on a public trust. The human beings are not disposable They are not there just to be uh, human warehoused, but they have a responsibility to take care of them and to provide them the best uh, care possible uh, with a reasonable means. And that needs to be done and that needs to be part of a public conversation so the public has uh, confidence that that that's happening. But this needs to be an ongoing conversation that we're having about what we're doing about our jail population and our prison population. And if we can reduce it rapidly right now around this, then I think what we're saying is that we do need to have that conversation about why do we have so many people who are incarcerated and how can we responsibly respond not only to this crisis, but to the ongoing crisis over incarceration.
1: Well said. Decarceration needs to be our new normal. Uh, so, for folks who have limited capacity, who may have lost their jobs, who may have been uh, worried about a loved one in prison or jail currently, how would you suggest they organize in this moment?
0: Uh, there, I think one of the biggest obstacles we have to, to organizing um, that we face is that many of us have similar problems, similar self interest, but we don't know because we don't talk. And uh, there, we have so many avenues now, we have avenues of social media. Uh, that can be used, but we need to create uh, avenues and opportunities for uh, communication. And if you, don't, if you, if you aren't able to, to put something together yourself, then reach out to uh, those organizations that have traditionally been doing work in this area. And you've got to put your hand up and say, hey, I've got a need and I want to do something.
1: Well, thank you again. As we're learning now, disasters reveal opportunities to remake systems. We can demand that decarceration is the new normal, pushing systems to live up to ideals instead of abandoning them during times of crisis. As Gary mentioned, if you're hearing about any problems in prisons or jails, please send an email to COVID-19 at ACLUOhio.org. If you want to tell Governor DeWine why your loved one should be out of prison or jail right now, send your story to OHOrganizing.org slash story. Stay safe. This podcast is a project of the ACLU of Ohio. Don't forget, rate, review, and subscribe. Again, we're your co-hosts, Malik Tamalaku and Selena Cumming. And this podcast would not be made possible without our village of amazing colleagues, Claire Chevrier, James Kasmatka, and Jeff Miller. Music and editing by Dan Rogan. Don't forget to follow us on social media. You can catch us on Twitter at ACLUOhio and on Facebook and Instagram at A C L U O H. Check out our bill website at ohbillreform.com. Thanks for listening.